Welcome back to the When We Were Young podcast and part two of our Back to the Future episode, where we'll be talking about Back to the Future parts two and three. You got all that. (laughs) I'm Becky, and I'm the podcast host most likely to make like a tree and get the hell out of here. I'm Seth, the host most likely to see some serious shit. And I'm Quist, the podcast host most likely to rename himself after a pair of purple underwear. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, everyone. We are still trapped in our homes because of COVID-19, but that hasn't stopped us from bringing you our very important opinions. Nothing can stop our very important opinions. Perhaps the only energy holding the world together at this point. In our last episode, we discussed our thoughts on Robert Zemeckis' 1985 hit sci-fi adventure, Back to the Future. And we were, eh, we didn't really agree. (laughs) (laughs) We were mixed of opinion. Yeah, uh, I liked it a whole lot. Chris was low middle and Seth was lower middle. I don't know. (laughs) I was mild Scott about Back to the Future. yeah, I was great Scott. (laughs) Chris, you were medium Scott. I was good Scott. You're good Scott. Oh, pretty good Scott. Um, (laughs) (laughs) PGS. (laughs) In this episode, we'll be discussing parts two and three. But first, let's talk about us some more. <laughs> so Chris, do we have some <laughs> I reviews? I was just thinking we had not talked enough about ourselves. I know. We have reviews. Right. Well, our opinions may have differed on the film Back to the Future, but one thing we can all agree on is that we're great. And so can <laughs> our fans. We do have a few new reviews. We realized that we were ignoring some of our fans from around the world. Apparently there are other countries than the United States and their reviews do not come through on the normal iTunes portal also i discovered that we have fans in great britain canada australia the philippines we're worldwide you guys okay so i'll freely admit i'll freely admit i had never checked these reviews on any platforms but i would have assumed that it would show you all international reviews along with everything else why didn't it show us that I think it's because like it's through iTunes that you actually see the reviews and because iTunes is different in every country, like in terms of what is available in each country. I think for some reason, I've heard this from other podcasts that I listen to where they have to like check a special place to find international reviews. So we have old reviews. So hopefully these people are still listening and still (laughs) uh, fans of ours. Yeah. And I'm so excited and so sad that we haven't seen these already. Yeah, so the first one is from June 2018, way back, way back when we were young. I don't Uh, remember that month. I don't remember them. So this review is from Thomas96 Meehan. The title is Taking You Back to the Good Old Days, and it is a five-star review. And he says, I've just discovered this podcast, and I'm loving listening to it. I can't wait to hear more. Such great hosts and such fantastic topics. Keep it up and hope you'll continue. Well, we did for for two more years. So, spoiler, <laughs> spoiler. Yeah, you got your wish. <laughs> and the next one is from Vincentennial. This is a Canadian fan, and this review is from 2019. So, you know, we're just one year late to the party. Sorry, <laughs> don't you go antagonizing <laughs> our Canadian fans again. 
the title is some very good advice. It is download this podcast immediately. I will. (laughs) Well, we are subscribers to our own podcast, so we do. It's a five-star review, and the review says, Love the podcast. You can tell that Chris, Becky, and Seth are close friends with a ton of history, just jamming about movies both loved and hated. Throw in some of their hilarious personal experiences and sometimes surprising insights on films that we have seen a thousand times or never, and you have a great podcast. Go relive some of the pop culture's finer moments with these guys. I don't know anyone in Canada, so it makes me feel real special that somebody in Canada is listening to us. So thank you. Yeah, agreed. Thank you so much. Like, and again, sorry, American sorry. Uh, but it just goes to show people love us all across North America, <laughs> continentally, intercontinentally. And from what other countries do we have reviews? The first one is from Great Britain. Hello, Gavna. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I would also like to take this opportunity to thank our subscribers on Patreon. We have two $5 a month subscribers to shout out, which are Janae and Jan, and a $6 a month subscriber, Brian, who would also like to thank you very much for... Thank you. Yes, your patronage, which helps us record and then deliver episodes and, and have artwork and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, now we actually have things we need to buy, like uh, this program that lets us record while we're not near each other. Yeah, and I, I want to give a shout out to Zencaster. It is how we are able to bring you this podcast right now. So thank you, Zencaster. So before we begin talking about Back to the Future Part 2, I want to know, what from our episode on Back to the Future would you go back and change? <laughs> I want to change the part where I farted on microphone a whole lot. <laughs> I'm going to edit that out of the final podcast. But yeah, I really wish I could take that back. Yeah, Seth is editing the episode so he can actually <laughs> go back and change anything. <laughs> I would go back and change my opinion to completely negative. (laughs) No, I would change your opinion to very positive. That's what I would go back and change. I would go back and change it to where I'd never seen those movies before and still hadn't (gasps) and was just recording and being like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. (laughs) It's a very dreary future. (laughs) Let's keep it how it is. Let's not change the past. (laughs) If we've learned anything from the series, don't travel through time. gotta come back with me where back to the future wait a minute what are you doing doc i need fuel go ahead quick get in the car no no no, no. look doc i just got here okay jennifer's here we're gonna take the new truck for a spin well bring her along this concerns her too wait a minute doc what are you talking about now, what happens to us in the future what, do we become assholes or something? Oh, no, 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 no. You, you and Jennifer both turn out fine. It's your kids, Marty. Something's got to be done about your kids. Hey, Doc, you better back up. We don't have enough road to get up to 88. Roads? Where we're going, we don't need roads. Back to the Future Part 2 was released November 22nd, 1989. So that's about four and a half years after the first one. The budget was $40 million, and the box office was $335 million. Another hit. 
the plot of Back to the Future Part 2 is Doc Brown comes to Marty with the information that his son is in big trouble in the future. They fly 30 years into the future to save his son, but while this happens, Biff steals the time machine with a sports almanac and gives it to his younger self in 1955 so he can get rich by betting on uh, sure things. Marty and Doc return to 1985 to discover it's now an alternate 1985 where Biff runs everything and is married to Marty's mom. The two then have to go back to the past to 1955 to stop the almanac from getting into Biff's hands. Very easy to follow. (laughs) The most straightforward plot. Uh, The movie had much more mixed reviews. It has a 65% on Rotten Tomatoes. Roger Ebert said of part two, um, it's mostly just zaniness and screwball jokes, but on that level, it's fun. Rita Kempley from the Washington Post said, Rita Beat, back on the Rita Beat. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Future two is to one as the Temple of Doom was to Raiders of the Lost Ark. Good, clean giggles, gone sour and mumpish. (laughs) Again, Rita, that makes no sense, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) So we already talked about our history with Back to the Future as a franchise in the first episode in this series. So go back and listen to that. So we could just launch right into our thoughts on Back to the Future Part 2. So go ahead. (laughs) I will give my first and most important note. Uh, as I mentioned in the previous episode, the hoverboard is my favorite thing ever. <laughs> it's my favorite concept. The dream of just being able to not even skateboard, but kind of just segue it and not just hover, but clearly fly, as is established in this movie and especially in Back to the Future Part 3. <laughs> yeah. This kind of whimsical, futuristic flying machine really just appeals to me on every single level. And I still really enjoyed it. Hey, 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 stop, little girl, little girl, stop, look, I need to borrow your hoverboard. Where is he? Here. There. He's on a hoverboard. Hoverboard. I love that it's hot pink. That too. The 80s color schemes and the 80s fashion and vision of the future here. Again, I I really quite enjoy, I have to say. (laughs) Yeah, that was a note I actually meant to say in the first movie. But um, I feel like Robert Zemeckis set out to make these movies by saying, I'm trying to make the most 80s movies ever. (laughs) (laughs) Chris, I could not agree more. The costumes, the music, the sets, the props, the hair. The accessories. Even JCPenney featuring a major (laughs) feature in the background. It's insane how 80s these movies are. And at the time, I guess they were trying to be modern. But now, like we've talked about this with other movies that are like the Brady Bunch movies, when it's like making fun of the 70s from the 90s, but actually the 90s are the funniest thing. It's kind of the same thing with these movies Mm -hmm. is that they're all about time travel. But the 50s are actually like much more more normal than the 80s to us at this point. (laughs) And then 2015, through the lens of the 80s, is actually just the 80s on steroids. It's not actually (laughs) anything like the future. I had only seen this movie, I think, one time ever. And my memory was that it was my favorite one of these. I had a very mixed reaction to this movie in that I really hated it to start. (laughs) And then I really liked it... (laughs) 
And there's a very distinct, <laughs> like, I feel like this movie, wow. it is very, it's very episodic, but I really did not enjoy the first half hour or so when they're in the future. I thought that was mm. dumb and zany and we'll get into more specifics. And then <laughs> yeah. once it got a little darker and into the alternate 1985 timeline, I was very into it. And so I feel like this is basically like three short films that I had distinct different reactions to each one. It's a very episodic movie because it's the future, it's the alternate past, and then it's the past past that they just came back from. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess I found this one a bit more entertaining by virtue of the fact that, like, it's openly episodic. This sequel, I felt like, really embraced that a lot more and went a lot crazier with it. And Chris, I agree with you, the first 30 minutes or so aren't as good. Uh, but the fact that it opens with a sequence in Cafe 80s is hilarious for two reasons. Uh, first of all, it's an actual restaurant in Los Angeles. But second, it's this retro cafe, and it's got Michael Jackson and Ronald Reagan puppet effigies in Max Headroom style playing on the TVs. Mm -hmm. What a fucking nightmare. <laughs> like, at the time, those were two normal figures, but now <laughs> that they pick Reagan and Michael Jackson, it's like, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> yeah, it was incredibly layered, well beyond what they intended at the time. But overall, I definitely found this movie more entertaining because of the zaniness and how balls to the wall they went in referencing themselves and literally even crashing into the big plot moments of the first movie. Guys, this is my favorite Back to the Future movie. Oh, wow. I love it even more than the first one because they go into the future and the past and there's an alternate present. It's just so chock full of like fun set pieces. It's so much fun. It backs much harder into the future. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so much fun. Like, I love the inventiveness. And this one really pays off with the payoffs and callbacks. And I just like every little thing, the scenes where he's like, they're there. You're safe now. Back on the 37th floor. The 37th mm. floor. Like every time he meets his mom, it's the same. It repeats, but it changes. And that's why this entire series to me feels like a comedy sketch that keeps heightening and changing things. But it's all like a callback to what came before it. And it's just so satisfying. I love it. And I, I, I agree. I also just love when they have to double up and go back to the past. And then there's like two versions of them, like two versions of Marty and Doc and Biff. It's just so cool. And I think that the special effects really hold up. I don't know how you thought about that, but like I was watching it and I was like, these are really good. Like it doesn't look like a typical green screen. I think they're amazing for the time. Obviously groundbreaking. That's one thing Zemeckis is known for throughout his career. But I thought there was a lot of kind of unnecessary necessary green screen and digital compositing where there didn't really need to be any like the one i remembered specifically was there is a scene where they're like i think it's biff tannen and someone else sitting in a car in a garage yeah biff and biff biff and biff and they green screen the outside and i'm like you could have just filmed an outside that kind of stood out to me and got in the way of it well i loved it yeah this was nominated for best visual effects that was the fifth and last oscar for these mm-hmm uh, movies and it lost to the abyss which i think it deserved the yeah. effects were okay but they reached pretty far and there's a lot of actors playing against themselves with michael j fox he dresses yeah. as well for one his younger self which is pretty much exactly himself and then his younger daughter which i did not even realize was him at first so i guess maybe maybe that's a point <laughs> for 
these movies. But yeah, there's a lot of scenes that feel like people, like the the scene exists just to be like, look what we can do, which is a very Zemeckis thing. Yes, very much. I like it. He's showing off. If That felt like in Roger Rabbit when they would do scenes just to show off. And that's, I mean, but I like yeah, it. Yeah, I, I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like that at all. It, beca- it starts to become very broad in a way that's almost like clumps-ish, nutty professor-ish. Yes, I thought of that too. I disagree. (laughs) (laughs) Just a small note, Flea is in this movie. (laughs) Um, And Elijah Wood. Elijah Wood is playing uh, the video game that's like a nostalgic video game in Cafe 80s. And Flea is the boss. But but Flea is established as someone that they knew in the past, but he's not in the first movie. So I find that very... I do have to say that I (laughs) wish that all three were written at once because they really did make the first one and then they're like we should have some sequels yeah because there's like a few things that i wish were in the first one but clearly you can't just go back and add it unless you're lucas but like (laughs) the whole thing with marty like being like nobody calls me chicken that's really only in the second and third yeah it feels like it's something something that's from the first like they're just pretending that was in the first movie and same with flea it's like you see jennifer like react like that guy and it's like, wait, am I supposed to remember who that is? And I had to actually like look at the cast and see, was he in the first movie? And did I just forget it? And it's like, no, they're just pretending that he was. Yeah, because I, I do appreciate that they did give Marty an arc because I think the first movie isn't really about him. It's about his father. But in the third one, they try to give him an overreaching arc to like be more confident in himself and not have to like prove himself, you know, with violence. I, I didn't know that a sports almanac was a real thing, uh, but apparently it is. <laughs> I thought it was something made is up. Is it actually? Yeah, I, I thought we were just going to kind of avoid the whole sports subject altogether. <laughs> so there it was, minding my own business. This crazy old codger with a cane shows up. He says he's my distant relative. I don't see any resemblance. So he says, how would you like to be rich? So I say, Sure. So he lays this book on me. He says, this book will tell me the outcome of every sporting event till the end of the century. All I have to do is bet on the winner and I'll never lose. So I say, what's the catch? He says, no catch, just keep it a secret. After that, he disappeared. I never saw him again. told me one more thing. He said, someday a crazy, wild-eyed scientist or a kid may show up asking about that book. And if that ever happens... <laughs> funny. I never thought it would be you. It's a very thin book for a book that contains it's every true. sports outcome <laughs> for 50 years. That book is like magazine thick. Is it 50 years? It is. It's like 55 to 2000. So oh, wow. 45 oh. years. Also, does Uncut Gems take place in the extended Back to the Futureverse? <laughs> what? Why? Just in terms of betting on sports events? Uh, I, 
don't know. I don't know. We can explore that elsewhere. I love that the hoverboard is used in the 1950s. This whole movie feels like, and this is a compliment for me, like a video (laughs) game where you're like a role playing video game where your character can go into one uh, setting and pick something up and hold on to it and then use it in a different setting. And that's what this feels like. Same, but not a compliment. <laughs> I think it's a compliment because I, I love that the something from the future is being used in the pat. I just like, I like all that. No, I, I mean, I liked that part fine. I, I do think that this movie has pretty much no real story to the extent that the first one had somewhat of a story of like trying to get the parents together. And there was a bit of an emotional core there. This movie is basically all plot. And this one is the one where I really got tired of Doc Brown because every line out of his mouth is crazy nonsense exposition, which sometimes is even completely unnecessary. He's just like... I had Einstein in a virtual kennel. It was like, it, what? Like, yeah. What is that? No, this this is where even I will admit the Christopher Lloydness started to get to me. Uh, and again, it's just because he especially was just straight up repeating lines from the first movie, not just like coming up with new iterations on them or whatever. Like it just felt so one note and it was kind of unfortunate. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know to tell you. It totally works for me. I don't know. I loved it. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> How about we talk about Biff in this movie? Biff gets old as a villain, I feel like. I like him in yes. the alternate version of 1985, but... When he's Donald Trump? <laughs> yeah. When he's, when he's very, very Donald, Donald Trump. Trump. That was shocking, honestly, to be watching this movie and be like, oh my God, it couldn't be more Donald Trump. It couldn't be. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Biff Tannen Museum, dedicated to Hill Valley's number one citizen and America's greatest living folk hero, the one and only Biff Tannen. Of course, we've all heard the legend, but who is the man? Inside, you will learn how Biff Tannen became one of the richest and most powerful men in America. It's not subtle. I'm I'm pretty sure that he based it off of him. It was definitely based on, yeah. Yeah, I just think it's sad where we are now. (laughs) (laughs) Where are we now, Becky? (laughs) Where we all watched Back to the Future 2 and we're like, that would be a good president. Why not? (laughs) He seems like he has it together. Mm -hmm. That's when you started to like it was the alternate timeline. Yeah, the the 2015 thing just felt like a lot of future gags, which can be fun, but there there just wasn't that much at stake. Like we we didn't get enough time with his family to care. Yeah, you know that his son goes to jail or whatever. For one, Michael J. Fox's voice when he's the son is insane. Like, so <laughs> annoying. It was nails on a chalkboard. I mean, I think yeah. that was the point that it was supposed to be annoying. Oh, but I just wanted to. Slap I wanted him. him to go to jail at that point, and then. <laughs> the whole scene at their house just felt like it was like more for the showing off the visual effects than for any kind of story. Hey, pizza. Oh, all right, just wait your turn. When it's ready, could you just shove it in my mouth? <laughs> Don't you be a smart ass. I'll break the atrocity channel. Hydrate level four, please. Ooh. Is it ready? Here you go. Oh, boy, oh, boy, Mom. You sure can hydrate a pizza. No, I'm sorry. I missed that whole thing. 
Al, I'm just worried about Jennifer. Michael J. Fox old looked very weird. I don't even know what to say about that. He was wearing two ties. He was wearing two ties. That's the style in 2015. Yeah. The weird thing with the boss, like he's he's cheating something. Like I don't know. All of that felt like it was overdeveloped and then just completely dropped. So I didn't know what you were supposed to be rooting for at that point. And then Jennifer sucks. Like Jennifer sucks. <laughs> Jennifer sucks. For one, I, I complained about her character in the last episode, but here she's Elizabeth Shue, and for a long time I was like, that actress <laughs> looks a lot like Elizabeth Shue, until I finally realized that it was just, they had replaced she's her with Elizabeth Jewish? Shue. Um, I'm so offended by the fact that they basically just say she's so irrelevant that we're going to knock her out for this part of the movie. Well, I'll tell you um, some trivia. Zemeckis and Gail regretted that they ended the first one with Jennifer in the car with Marty and Doc because it required them to come up with a story that fit her in. That's why they get rid of her really quickly. No, it required them to write a female character (laughs) and they didn't want to do it. It's sad because she could have been an interesting part of it. Like she is as much a part of the story as they are once they get to the future and instead they make her kind of a a weird joke and like just the scene where they knock her out was honestly one of the worst things I've ever seen. That really rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah. I guess for me, it was less about her being a woman than them writing themselves into a corner with a third character they didn't need because I think it's really just about Marty and Doc but they could have needed her. It's just that they didn't want to write like a female and like every, all of her dialogue is like, what's my wedding? Like, it's just, it's really tinier mm-hmm. to me, like about women. Right. I totally agree with you, Chris. Yeah. Well, I loved the future parts. <laughs> <laughs> I think I read somewhere that they knew that there wouldn't be flying cars by 2015, but they're like, it's the future. We got to put it in our movie. <laughs> like, like who cares if there's going to be actually flying cars or not? I just think it's zany. I guess I'm into that. <laughs> and you are clearly not. <laughs> no. Well, it was so weird to me because they have the flying cars, so that's fine. But then the set is very not futuristic. It's still like the same clock tower. You got to have the same clock tower. There's a hologram. There's a Jaws joke, which I guess was kind of funny, but it just didn't feel like the future at all. Like they had a couple of touches, but it, I don't want to compare it to like Blade Runner 2049 or something, but it was just wasn't like thought through like what the future would actually be like. Oh, we got flying cars and, and cool shoes. But like, I actually, so another thing I read was that he explicitly told his crew, like his set designer and stuff. He's like, I don't want. Blade Runner, because that was what people thought of the future at the time in the 80s. So they kind of went in a completely different direction. Like, that's why it's not Blade Runner-y at all. That kind of Well, vision. now that we're it in does... the future, we know that it is Blade Runner. <laughs> well, actually, I would, yeah, I would contend that, like, the present moment is kind of a combination of Blade Runner and Back to the Future 2, where, like, the Reagan 80s never stopped repeating themselves. And we're also in a horrible dystopia that we cannot possibly escape. <laughs> Sorry, we're depressing you guys at home. (laughs) This is supposed to be escapism. Sorry. I think the worst prediction of the future is that Pepsi would still be a thing in 2015. (laughs) Seriously, Chris, I wasn't going to bring it up, but thank you. There's so much Pepsi. There are so many Pepsi references. Oh, my God. There's Pepsi everywhere. And Pepsi was never Michael Jackson. Pepsi was never Ronald Reagan. (laughs) Pepsi was always the also-ran, if you ask me. Pepsi was never. (laughs) It never was, but it's such a part of this movie. 
Okay, so beyond the future, once it's it's so weird for me is that like I hated the first half hour of this movie. I was like, I don't like this movie at all. Doc Brown is annoying. The effects are not very good. The makeup is not very good. I don't like the performances. They're very broad. And then they got to 1985, and I was like, I'm into it. It's it's honestly more like Blade Runner, where there's like <laughs> evil going on, and and it's it's like there's guns and 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 darkness and i was like okay now i was like completely on board for the next hour or so Hmm. well that's good i was very surprised because i was like writing very negative things about this movie hating this movie and i was like okay now i like this movie (laughs) did you like it to the end um well the very end no yeah i mean the 50s part is fun it's for me like this movie starts devolving into what i think doesn't work for me about this series as a whole which is just that it's just callbacks it's like remember this we're doing it again but in this way yeah and it it just gets kind of old disagree yeah i made the family guy comparison uh, about the first movie and i really think that especially applies to these sequels i just it's so entertaining to me I love watching it. It's a thrill ride. It is, but there's just, there's no story to this movie. I mean, I I wish that throughout this series, like it strengthened the relationship between Marty and Doc Brown or really any person and another person. Like there's just no like emotional thing to latch onto. There's actually a little bit more in the next movie, which we'll get to, but like this one has no stakes really i mean the, there's a lot of plot and a lot of like this has to happen so this can there's happen stakes. but there's no the stakes are that the future is very evil with biff there's no emotional stakes okay the emotional stakes is that then biff will be his dad and his dad will be dead i guess i don't know i don't that doesn't feel real to me it just feels like another plot device mm-hmm. like no, it doesn't feel like nothing emotionally hits me throughout this entire movie well, and I think this is episodic in another sense of the word, which is that each of these sequels feels just like another episode in that universe, uh, where it is, you can tell it's a kind of ongoing thing that'll always, you know, have a new set of costumes and a slightly new visual look, but will basically be a reiteration of the previous thing. You know, the characters won't really change all that much. I'm fine with it. <laughs> I just I thought that Michael J. Fox did a really good job in this movie with all the different characters he was playing. I think that this showcases him as being a very good actor. I think he was good, but like the fact that he was playing a high schooler and he was, uh, I think he was almost thirty at this movie. Just like it felt like he's short. He is short. (laughs) He still has that going for him. Yeah, there just wasn't enough. And then, did this movie end in the theaters with a trailer for Back to yes, the Future 3? Yes, it did. Okay. I fucking hate that more than I can say. I hated that. And having it literally fucking end with like, well, and here is the next episode on next week's show. I like it. <laughs> what? <laughs> I think it's smarmy. How do you like it? I guess because it was such a big movie at the time. And I don't know if it was a surprise. I don't know. But I think when I was little and watching Back to the Future for the first time, and then I saw the third one, they go. it was like exciting. It got me excited to watch the next one. Oh, I, I, I'm not saying I want this for every sequel to be like, here's a look <laughs> at the next movie. <laughs> 
They could do it like Arrested Development and make it like not actually scenes from the next movie. Yeah, exactly. I was confused about that too when I first started watching Arrested Development. Then I w- was looking for those scenes in the next episode. <laughs> they weren't there. <laughs> yeah, it took they me a there. long time to realize that that was not the actual next episode. <laughs> yeah, I can't I can't say enough like how much that like soured me on this movie and made it feel like <laughs> such just like a fucking product <laughs> versus a story. Yes. I think, honestly, like, whatever, like, star rating I would give this, I would take an entire star away just for that ending. We'll just end it before the trailer (laughs) shows up. Yes, please do, Robert Zemeckis. I shouldn't... (laughs) I I shouldn't have to tell him I'm going to end it. I mean, I consider that, like, an experiment at the time. So it doesn't really bother me. It's a marketing uh, experiment. It makes the movie feel like a marketing experiment. Exactly. Uh, but we're all we all agree on hoverboards, right? <laughs> we are unanimous on hoverboards. Yeah, I love that it was a little girl writing it. I, I'm fine. I'm fine with hoverboards. Ooh, Chris, you sound tepid on hoverboards. Well, you know, they're in the third movie too. Let's go to the next movie, shall we? <laughs> Do you know why it was so long between one and two? I mean, I know they filmed two and three back to back, but like, I what know took so that long? he filmed Roger Rabbit in between, so that may have been what mm. happened. Okay. Oh. I, I don't know okay, for sure, but sense. yeah, Roger Rabbit was in between, so, and they filmed two and three back to back. So actually, they, that may have caused production to last longer. Yeah, that makes sense. It, it, it's just so weird that these were like released when they were. Yeah, it seems almost out of its time, even just with the second movie. Well, I mm-hmm. think possibly going, well, who knows? You never know what's going to be a hit. Because I was like, they could all be written together. So now that we all agree about hoverboards, <laughs> we're all on the same page there. Let's go to Back to the Future Part 3, which was released May 25th, 1990. So there is about six months between Part 2 and 3. Amy, fly! Thought I done told you never to come in. Uh, you ain't shameless, McFly. You look like him, no. Especially wear that dog ugly hat. <laughs> <laughs> you kin to that, hey, Barber? What's your name, dude? Uh, Mart. Eastwood. Clint Eastwood. <laughs> <laughs> What kind of stupid name is that? I'd say he's the run of the litter. Hey now, boys. <laughs> Would you take a look, see these pearly whites? Hell, I ain't seen teeth look at straight more store bar. <laughs> take a gander at them moccasins. What kind of skins is them? What's that writing mean? Knee K. What is that? Some sort of Asian talk or something? <laughs> <laughs> the budget was forty million and the box office was two hundred and forty-six million. So the box office went down with each movie, but still very, very high. They're all hits. The plot to Back to the Future Part 3 is Marty travels back in time to 1885, where the Doc is now living, to try and save the Doc's life from a gunfight with Biff's ancestor. He then gets stuck in the past, and now Marty and Doc have to figure out a way for both of them to return to 1985 before Doc or Marty is shot. Also, there's a love story in there. The reviews for Back to the Future Part 3 were a little bit higher than Part 2. It's 79% on Rotten Tomatoes. Vincent Canby of the New York Times calls it cheerful, sweet, and forgettable. Was that a good review? (laughs) (laughs) Kind of. I've often been described the same way. (laughs) Roger Ebert's review, he said, 
All of this is sort of fun. The movie did not stint on its budget, but it's somehow too linear. It's as if Robert Zemeckis, who directed, and Bob Gale, who wrote, ran out of time travel plot ideas and settled into a standard Western universe. Yeah. In the previous episode, we were all mixed on Back to the Future 1. Seems like we're still kind of mixed on 2. How did we feel about number 3? Well, I think we're still going to be mixed. (laughs) (laughs) If I had to place a bet on it. (laughs) So this movie, I think, was the one of these that I saw the most. Random. Yeah. Very random. But it's the most kid-friendly, I think. I've never been a Wild West person. So that whole, like, milieu has never appealed to me. You weren't really into Lonesome Dove as a child, Chris? <laughs> I I was not. No Clint Eastwood for me, either <laughs> actual Clint Eastwood movies or this one where he references Clint Eastwood all the time. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like at this point, like there were a lot of movies in the early 90s that referenced the Wild West, like City Slickers or Wagons East, Maverick, Five Goes West. <laughs> And I feel like it was just a lot of like people from the 50s who were like voicing that upon us. And kids from the 90s didn't actually like the Wild West that much. No? That's my opinion. Like we didn't watch Westerns growing up. So this whole Western like tropes thing at best felt like something we knew from Bugs Bunny cartoons or something. Like it feels so random to me that this is the third movie And I don't know, I I just kind of shrug at the Wild Westness of it all. Yeah, Chris, I really agree with that. I think Westerns and that genre became the nostalgia trap for the baby boomers. And I think this third one is the installment of the franchise that really specifically aims at baby boomers as its audience. Mm -hmm. Like our millennial nostalgia is so often just tied directly to the 80s and 90s when we grew up. That's what the boomers grew up with. Shows like Lone Ranger and Rawhide. And that's also totally the version and vision of the West that this movie is tapping into and referencing. Uh, and that was surely just Robert Zemeckis referencing his own childhood. And Spielberg, like, has famously been very influenced by John Ford. But, like, at this point, I was just like, of all the places you can go back in time, like, this is fine. But it's just, it feels like this is, like, setting up, again, like, a TV show. Or this is the Wild West episode, but they totally. go to other places, but they don't. It's just the Wild West. <laughs> Growing up, this was always my least favorite of the three i was never that into it as an adult it's still my least favorite but i think it's a good movie and it makes sense that you know you're not going to go another 30 years into the past or another 30 years in the future instead they do a hundred years in the past and that's 1885 and that is like you know when this time period would be and it because this movie is more about doc and Doc's story that it's like where would doc want to go and i mean i'm fine with that he wants to go in the wild west and i guess the movie is still so well written to me that i just don't mind it i don't mind that they're in the west for so long would i prefer them to hop over to another time yeah but it's fine <laughs> <laughs> You know what I think is great about this sequel is that Doc Brown gets horny. Yeah, I I like that. I think Christopher Lloyd does a great performance in this movie. Like, it's really a lovely performance. It's nice to see an old man have a romance, even if that woman is probably 30 years younger than him. Um, I mean, I don't know how old Mary Steenburgen was at the time. 
but it, it's just nice. I feel like that relationship is age appropriate. It is. Yeah. I mean, she just looks way younger than I picture her now because I know what she looks like now. But um, yeah, I think it's very sweet. It's, it's There's a heart I, in I it. do too. I do too. I think I actually do think their relationship is very cute and that their chemistry is genuine. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I agree with that. Like to me, this is the Mary Steen Virgin movie. Like <laughs> this is the movie that introduced me to her. And when I think about this movie, I think about her, even though it's like almost 40 minutes until she comes in, I think. Emma, do you think we'll ever be able to travel to the moon the way we travel across the country on trains? Definitely. Although not for another 84 years and not on trains. We'll have space vehicles, capsules settle off with rockets, devices that create giant explosions, explosions so powerful that they just... They break the pull of the Earth's gravity and send the projectile through outer space. Damn it. I read that book too. You're quoting Jules Verne from the Earth to the Moon. You've read Jules Verne. So do I. 20,000 leagues under the sea, my absolute favorite. The first time I read that when I was a little boy, why I wanted to meet Captain Nemo. <laughs> Jeez, Emma, you, you couldn't have read that when you were a little boy. It was only first published 10 years ago. Oh, yes. Well, I meant it made me feel like a boy. I never met a woman who liked Jules Verne before. I never, ever met a man like you before. I do enjoy the fact that they actually gave Doc Brown a storyline finally and made him feel like a real person who might have an emotion at some point. But I guess where it suffers is Marty has no story in this movie. So it's like the opposite of the first two movies where it's like, this is the Doc Brown movie, but Marty is completely like incidental. He deals with his chicken issues. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) One thing I wanted to note about these movies is that they will not stop saying back to the future. Oh, I love it. This is my favorite. This is my favorite movie where, I mean, all three of them where (laughs) the title is in the movie. I love it. Oh, it's not just like one time. It's like oh, it's a lot. Multiple times. Do you know how many times they say spaceman from Pluto? <laughs> <laughs> how many times? Probably Becky? none. <laughs> Maybe once. How many times do they say Mary Steenburgen? Because that's the name of the movie I want. <laughs> I love the title of the movie and I love that they say it over and over. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> This movie continues the grand tradition of terrible accents. Leah Thompson's Irish Western accent Ugh. is just hilarious what, it's to bad? me. It is? It, is, it, yes. is it? I don't know. It didn't feel bad to me. Oh, it's dinner theater again. Like, I, I'm sorry. I like her as an actress. She's very charming and, and winsome, but uh, the, the accent. Yeah, it's not good. <laughs> But this is the movie where the tedium of the jokes really sets in, where it's just like, oh, really? Is Biff going to get, like, shit poured on him again? And is he going to say the same line? Yes, he is. Like, it just gets where the movie is mostly existing just to repeat jokes from the last movie and not to, like, actually tell a story on its own right. And I'm trying to think back to what Marty does in this movie, and the answer is nothing. I don't think... Anything happens to him in this what movie. What do you mean? Or he he saves Doc's life. And so then Biff is like, I'm going to kill you. So now he's in trouble. <laughs> 
that's not a story. That's a plot. And there's no story to this. Well, the story is he gets over his issues with being called chicken. And he, you know, you think you think he's going to go out and fight Biff and be like the big man. But then he's like, that guy's an asshole. And he doesn't. Yeah, I mean, this was just the movie where, like, repeating Biff felt really tiresome. Just a lot of the jokes that were repeated, like, it was like, okay, you, like, put that joke again in the Wild West, but it just, like, it, it just got tedious to me that it was the same story and same jokes over and over again. I, like, I wanted something new, and this movie really didn't offer it, besides a couple of nice moments between Doc and Mary Steen Virgin. Also, they continued the Michael Jackson references in this movie. Oh, I loved uh, that. Where he moonwalks in the bar. I loved it. Uh, it <laughs> was it was so of its time. And then he's like, where'd you learn how to shoot like that? 7-Eleven. I love all of this. <laughs> this movie's oh not for you guys. It's for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's all for you, Becky. <laughs> how about the train sequence? Did you guys like the train sequence at the end? Dr. Brown, I brought this note back from the future and now it's a race. Of course it's a race. But what does that mean? It means your future hasn't been written yet. No one's has. Your future is whatever you make it. To make it a good one. Both of you. No. <laughs> well, it, ha- it had the same problem that I had with the first movie. It was just like, it's like, mm-hmm. do plot things to get back to the future. And the, the emotional story pretty much ends earlier, or if it even existed in this movie, mm-hmm. I don't really know. There's nothing emotionally at stake, and it's just like plotty things. I just completely tuned out at that point. Well, how about the way that the entire series wrapped up? What did you guys think about that? Do you mean at the end when Marty kisses Elizabeth Shue while she's sleeping and wakes her up? <laughs> That's the part I meant. <laughs> that kind of weirded me out. Uh, I guess, yeah. I was like, she's just been passed out for like a movie and a half. This franchise just like incapacitates the female character. Well, just her because Clara has a personality and... That's She's true. And, and look, Mary Steenburgen shown. And also, I feel like Leah Thompson is really good in this series, like as an actress. And I, she, I think she does a great job all, in all three of them. She's more of a supporting, but I think she does a great job. I think she's great in the first one. And when she's Biff's wife in the second one, I think that's a really interesting perspective for her. But yeah, the Irish relatives <laughs> of Marty like didn't work for me well, in this movie. Like, really? Mick Fly? Like Mick Fly? That was their old Irish name? <laughs> what was it before they landed at Ellis Island? It was Mick Fly. <laughs> All right. Mm. Well, uh, there just wasn't enough with those. Again, it's a, it's more of a joke. Like, ooh, there's still McFlies back then. Then there are real characters, and I just wish that this movie and and the last movie as well had just been less concerned with like how to like wedge this joke into a different timeline and more with actually telling a story. Like after this first movie, there's just so little actual story of Marty developing in any way, Doc Brown developing in any way. It's just like joke, joke, joke. And I don't know, it's very thin. 
Also, I feel like this whole series is so influenced by classic Hollywood series like Abbott and Costello. You know, they'd have episodes in the form of short films, and they would often send their main characters traveling to other countries and continents like Egypt or France. And this feels so drawn from that golden era, you know, style of Hollywood filmmaking. Yeah, and I agree. Like, I like the feeling that these two could be in crazy adventures no matter where you put them. Yeah. Like, and I guess the cartoon goes there because the cartoon could do whatever it wants. But I, I kind I guess of I... get that. But I then I feel like it's so random that it's only the Wild West and then it ends. It's like, okay, you picked one, but like, why this one? It just feels random to me. Yeah, I won't argue with that. ZZ Top make a cameo in part three. <laughs> Well, and I noticed they had a song on the soundtrack in part three, so that fits. <laughs> Wait, what? Is that in the dance sequence? Like, when they're all in the hoedown? No, I think it may have been at the end credits. Oh. Well, ZZ Top are there in the Wild West. I think that they were nearby on set, like, literally, <laughs> and, and came by, and then they're like, hey, you should be in this dance sequence. And then they went in, and that's how that cameo came to be. <laughs> like, it was very, like... Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I read something that like they were on set and they had instruments because it's like a, a hoedown, a hoedown kind of thing. And they were, but <laughs> during breaks, the extras and the cast was like, play this hit or play this hit. And they were, and then Zemeckis just like stopped shooting for a while because everybody was having a fun time <laughs> listening to ZZ Top play. ZZ Top guys, ZZ Top. <laughs> what a day that was. Yeah. For the youngins, ZZ Top are two twins with beards. <laughs> And they played music. Uh, thank you for that, because I actually did not know that they were twins or anything. They're not twins. <laughs> there are three of them, first of all. <laughs> there is a drummer. <laughs> and they are not twins. Guys, I didn't do any research. <laughs> that was from memory. Uh, for our younger viewers, ZZ Top are the first people to land on the moon. <laughs> who, who else do you want me to, to tell you their histories without looking it up? <laughs> <laughs> ZZ Bottom and ZZ Medium. Oh, God. Oif. Oif. That was my reaction. <laughs> that is a... I have never heard that before, but that hurt. Uh, what are your other complaints about this movie? <laughs> the ending. The train. Yeah. I don't even know if I understand it correctly, but <laughs> Marty and Jennifer are doing whatever. I'm not sure. And then a train comes back. The time machine gets destroyed by an actual train. 1985. Yeah. Well, for one, we don't know when like Mary's version actually figures out like, hey, we're time travelers. That's fine. <laughs> Why does he come back? He's just like, hello. I'd like to say hello. And now I'm off again. Like that doesn't seem like a great reason. He just wants to say hi to his friend. That seems like a very uh, disruptive way to do it. Because, like, isn't his whole thing, like, don't disrupt the... the no, it seems like he changed his mind and that they're going to hop into different time periods. That's what it seems like. I liked his original idea of, like, don't fuck with time travel because it's dangerous. And then at the end, he's just kind of like, ah, let's fuck with it. Let's see what happens. I can't argue with you there. <laughs> Again, it just like feels like serialized like Flash Gordon or something. That was a thing that they did over and over again, kind of flattening the stakes of it. Even though they're literally fucking with the fabric of space and time, like 
They never decide to try to stop. They never decide to try to like undo the things that they've done. It just kind of runs out of steam for me. I feel like this whole series is just, I mean, clearly it didn't work for you guys, but just like a, like to make people feel good and be, keep them entertained and give them like satisfying conclusions, even if they don't work on a story level. So that is a problem. <laughs> <laughs> But for me, and I, I think that out of all of the movies we've talked about, these movies are probably the hardest for me to to separate myself from because I just accept them how they are. And they're great to me because they were great to me when I was young. Oh, it's so hard to argue with that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we we all have those things. As we, That's what we're finding out on this podcast is we yeah. all have... Of course. Things that were great to us that still feel great to us that, you know, to someone who wasn't as attached to it, maybe not be so great. Yeah, I'm very attached to it. And like, I can't wait to show these movies to my daughter. I'm excited to watch them again with fresh eyes, like through her. And she's going to be like, mommy, these movies suck. No, she will not. (laughs) Go to your room. (laughs) She'll be like, mommy, is this problematic now? (laughs) And I'm like, depends, honey. (laughs) Overall, I will say the first movie holds up, I think, as like a very, like it goes down easy. Like you can watch it. It's very entertaining. Like if you don't think about it, it goes well. And then the sequels have their entertaining moments, but I think they just point out the weaknesses in the the series overall. So, I mean, I can definitely understand watching these movies and being entertained by them. Like I was entertained enough by them, but I was also board in in scenes where it was just like plotty plotty plot and i i wish that there was more to take out of these movies in terms of character or what they mean like it it was really reaching to find any kind of meaning in these so the rights to the film and its sequels are owned by robert zemeckis and bob gale in a 2015 interview zemeckis said that no reboot and no remake of the franchise would be authorized uh during him or gale's lifetime so that makes me happy wow. as a fan of these movies that I don't want I don't want remakes. I don't want reboots. I like how they are and I like that they are like nope, we're not, you know, cashing in. That makes me happy. That there have seems- been cash-ins since since then like like Reebok has like tried to make those shoes. <laughs> That's uh, the self the self <laughs> time, the self-lacing shoes. Um I how would much wear were they, those were they like shoes. Were they like 600 bucks? How much were they? they? They were very limited. I think they sold out immediately and they were like hundreds. Yeah. And they weren't even really self-lacing. They just were the, the same style mm. that was in the movie, but I don't think they actually laced. There was Back to the Future Day on October 21st, 2015, which is the day they went into the future. And if you recall a few years ago, there was a lot of publicity for the movie back then. They went on, I think it was Kimmel, like Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd had like a reunion and people still love these movies. They're still talked about. They're pretty much just like iconic in film history as far as like adventure buddy comedies go. And I think that they'll still be pretty beloved for a while. I don't see that going away, even though clearly there are some people out there that aren't as big a fan. 
People named Seth and Chris. No, I agree. These are the most 80s movies ever. And I feel like in a certain way, they have the most nostalgia ever. And in a way, it's kind of crazy that it took us this long to cover these movies. Because it feels like this should have been the first episode. (laughs) Absolutely. If you're like doing an 80s and 90s nostalgia podcast, it's like Back to the Future. That's number one. I mean, it's the movies are about nostalgia. Yeah, and yeah I, exactly. I feel like we'll get a lot of angry messages about <laughs> <laughs> Seth and I's reaction to this. I'm anticipating the backlash. Back, the back to, to the, the future, future lash. lash. <laughs> Jinx. And this is why we had to come back. <laughs> and this is why I'm glad we have Becky to be the voice of the people. <laughs> Bex Populi. <laughs> the voice of the people. <laughs> no one's ever called me that before. Thanks. And that's all the controversial opinions we have for this episode of When We Were Young. On our next episode... Amphibians. Pizza. <laughs> Kung Fu. What could it be but the Ninja Turtles? It could be my life during quarantine. <laughs> well, <laughs> quarantine? <laughs> my darling quarantine. <laughs> did I say that wrong? <laughs> you did. <laughs> It's quarantino. <laughs> yeah, we're going to look back at some underage <laughs> samurai amphibians, <laughs> also known as the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, really? Underage or really? Under, underground? <laughs> I don't know what you want from me right now. They're, they're mean, they're green, and so on. <laughs> Etc. Yeah. Someone's a pizza eating machine. I don't know. So none of us are familiar enough with the Ninja Turtles <laughs> to actually make jokes right now, but we will be by the time we do the episode. Yes. Michelangelo was a party dude. Uh, oh, Leonardo was the leader. Yeah. Raphael was rude, but cool. Rude. Yeah. Uh, and Donatello was the nerdy, nerdy guy, like smart guy. Donatello, those machines. What? What? He was the inventor of the group and would invent like new weapons and vehicles for them. Oh. We'll get back to you, listeners, <laughs> with expertise on the Ninja Turtles, because we don't have it right now. What do people watch for this? I guess they watch the, the movies that came out in the, in the 90s with those puppets. Yes. The movies are available on Netflix. The cartoon, I guess? Saturday morning cartoon? Some episodes of that? I bet the cartoon is probably available on YouTube now. And uh, if anybody has a graphic novel of Ninja Turtles, like the original one, take a picture. I do. Oh, you do? I do. All right, never mind, fans. Chris has one. (laughs) Awkward. (laughs) You can look forward to all of that and more on the next episode of When We Were Young. So we heavily edited. Good luck, future Seth. (laughs) This will be moderately edited and medium scotted. The When We Were Young podcast is a production of the MFP Studio Studio in Los Angeles, California. You can find us on all the socials, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can contribute to us on Patreon at patreon.com slash whenwewereyoung. I'm Seth Pearson. I'm Becky. And I'm Calvin Klein. I'm going with Calvin Klein. (laughs) 